Welcome to The Mystic. Every month at this time, we gather for an hour-long experience of music, discussion, and reflection built around the need we all have to connect our spirits to the challenges of the day. I am Dr. Scott Morris, CEO of Church Health, and I'm joined by Rabbi Micah Greenstein, the senior rabbi at Temple Israel and the pastor to the city of Memphis, and Kirk Qualam, the world's greatest saxophone player and Grammy Award winner, and then two millennial voices, Joshua Narcissa, who is a graduate of Yale Divinity School and a young Presbyterian minister, and Joy Marseille, a young artist and athlete. And we're joined today with our guest musician as Happy Hoffman, who I think you will love her voice. And we begin, as always, with a breath of music from Kirk Quaylem. So what is the mystic? It's not Muslim prayers on Friday, Jewish prayers on Saturday, or Christian prayers on Sunday. The mystic is a catalyst through music, story, silence, and dialogue. We hope to strengthen our attachment to hopes and dreams. In the mystic, diversity is a prerequisite for all creativity, which is why Crosstown Concourse is the perfect home. In the mystic, the world is far better served by the different beliefs than it could ever be if limited by rigid uniformity. And even if this doesn't rock your gypsy soul, the goal of the mystic is to not feel better, but get better at feeling. I ask that we are filled with the strength to open our hearts and treasure the differences that distinguish us. And may the music of compassion, kindness, spirit and insight fill this hour. Thanks for joining us. It's so good to be together during this arguably roughest month, December, into the mystic, uh, into the pandemic as we push through 
to the vaccine, hopefully only a few months away. And to be with Kirk Whalem and Scott Morris is always, always a gift. And Joshua, who led us into the promised land, but to have two with us named Happy and Joy. I mean, <laughs> you, you can't buy that, especially for December. Um, in our mystic discussions over the past three years, we've talked frankly and honestly about race and religious identity. But this month, what about other identities at the heart of our uniqueness as human signatures of God? since those identities are being used as wedges to divide. What about sexual identity and gender identity? My congregation offered an anti-transgender discrimination prayer in recent weeks, which elicited some confusion and bewilderment. Not objections, but just, what's that about? People seem generally accepting that a female kicker dressed up in a Vanderbilt football uniform for the first time in a male-dominated sport. But there are court battles questioning how a former boy should be allowed to compete in women's sports when she was once a he. It's confusing. People cross all religions and trying to understand more deeply the mystery of God's image as reflected in different refractions of God's light. LGBTQ plus sexual identity is still viewed by some as a choice. Gender identity with trans is also labeled a lifestyle. As if gay people, which is a sexual identity or trans, a gender identity, those persons wish to be bullied or ostracized. Joy, What's your sense of how people are making sense of this and how has the subject of gender identity and sexual identity impacted your own life work and Kirk, Joshua, Scott, yours too? Um, I think there's a lot of confusion and bewilderment, um, especially in the religious groups um, around gender and gender identity, gender expression, sexual identity, sexual expression, um, partially because the church, and I, I use that loosely, um, but the church in any faith, I think, has um, shied away from talking about sexuality and talking about gender and talking about um, things in a nuanced way. Um, and so because of that, it makes it really hard to dive like into the deep end of a nuanced conversation um, because unfortunately um, there's so many who are unprepared to have the conversation in the first place. And I think that that's what the biggest issue is. I think at different times in my life, I was unprepared to have the conversation. Um, sexuality was very clearly communicated in my household and in my uh, religious upbringing Nobody ever talked about gender expression. Um, growing up as a, what people would now refer, or then refer to as a tomboy, growing up as somebody who is a very rough and tumble girl, um, I think, I didn't have the words for it then, but I think I struggled with my gender expression at the time. Um, I still figure out what it looks like for me to be a cis, straight, white, I mean, sorry, white, whoa. <laughs> uh, a cis, straight, black woman, um, but also 
be very interested in typically boy things um, and be more masculine um, or not really know how to access my femininity in some manners. Um, I think that that has evolved for me. Um, going to college changed a lot. Um, my senior year of high school, a friend of mine came out as pansexual. Um, so there are different things that kind of helped shape the way I think about gender and, I, and sexual identity now. Um, my workplace now is incredibly diverse in sexual, sexual orientation and in gender expression, and that allows me to have exposure to people who I wouldn't necessarily have had exposure to um, and allows me to know how to treat people with love and with acceptance and with um, genuineness, uh, even if I don't understand the lifestyle. I think I'm still finding my own thought process about what I believe God intends um, because of my own religious ideals and my own religious identity. Um, but I don't know that that always matters um, when we're talking about people. We're talking about engaging other people and loving other people. Um, I don't know that uh, I don't know that there is one particular right way to do anything, to be honest. Um, but especially when we're talking about how people perceive themselves and how they identify personally. Um, I still don't know how to categorize myself. <laughs> um, and so in that, it's hard for me to even pass judgment or speak on other people's experiences. Thanks for that honesty and sharing. Uh, Joshua, you attended Yale Divinity School, which means you know everything like Scott <laughs> Morris. <laughs> um, very open, affirming, accepting place. And now you pastor when you're not at church out they're one of the largest predominantly African-American churches in the whole Mid-South. So what's your sense of this whole discussion? Well, I think uh, where I begin is, is kind of picking up on something you said, Joy, about um, not having the language to talk about what you were experiencing and how you were sort of showing up in the world. And I think one of the major charges that can be leveled against churches, Big C um, in, in general, um, and especially uh, churches that are not, quote-unquote, open and affirming um, or whatever language you want to use, is that they've not committed to learning new language, right? I once uh, heard a preacher talk about the church needing new language because no one's talking about being born again anymore, right? Well, there are some of our uh, Christian brothers and sisters that still use that language, but to the average person walking down the street, what does being born again mean? And the the language that church has created that is completely inaccessible from the outside looking in needs to be revamped. And part of that revamping ought to include and should include how we talk about people, right? Like the the binary of of male, female, uh, man, woman is not helpful anymore. And if we desire to like in my context, proclaim Christ glorified. And, you know, and if I be high and lifted up, I'll draw all men or people unto me, then we ought to be using language that allow, that is accessible to all people um, and, and language that respects pe all people. And so working um, at, at, at my current uh, faith community assignment, um, it's an incredibly large church and incredibly uh, diverse in terms of age and economic status. But how do we help people who 
only know the language of church, only know the language of the 1950s, 60s, and 70s. How do we help them to understand that what we're talking about now isn't new? We just now have the language to talk about what has already existed. Um, and not that we're trying to force anything on someone, not that we're uh, not biblically based, right? Not that it isn't Christ-centered, but that in making the space for folks who do not identify as you, do not look like you, do not love like you, is the most Christ-like thing to do, especially in the middle of a global pandemic in which we have seen our, our our means of relating to one another are wholly insufficient, right? And if there's anything that we can do around making sure that the church becomes a place for all people, um, I think it begins with our language and then follows with our practices and in our preaching and then in our discipleship. Um, that's my little soapbox message for the moment. Kirk. Before we became friends, I knew your father, blessed memory. You come from the definition of a church family, and you are the maestro. I've never asked you this, but you travel the world and have met musicians who may be the words that Joy shared, cis, pan, it could be trans, it could be he, she, and then you swim your whole life in this world that Joshua was talking about. I mean, how far be it from me, I'm Jewish, but how could it not be Christ-based, biblically-based, gender-based? And yet, it's not like you've been living two worlds. How do you help others understand what you know to be true? Hmm. Based on your life. Yeah, so, you know, I, first of all, I'll say, like, what I know to be true has has evolved like the wind. <laughs> how, how so? Oh, my goodness. It's like? just been... And uh, so, actually, I've been taking notes, and I'll, I will comment on that. And one of the... You know, I've been had my head blown off already uh, by these two people, uh, by Josh and Joy. And, you know, but it just it's just fantastic to me that, Josh, you mentioned something about learning another language. Because I literally had made a note while Joy was talking about learning another language. And, and it does have a little to do with where you start out. Like in this conversation, you know, I started out learning the language of life, and I recorded a song called Language of Life. But uh, I started learning that language uh, by rote from my preacher daddy, you know, and, and my mom. Um, and, you know, the fact is... Learning a language intrinsically, as we, as pretty much all of us do, is just that in Europe or in Africa, you're learning three or four. <laughs> but in America, where we, we go with the one language deal, which is not American, it's English. <laughs> you know, well, speak English, this is America. Hmm. But at any rate, we, we forget that confusion Again, so you opened up by talking about confusion and the confusion of having to learn another language. Mm -hmm. When you know, you know, this is a phone, you know, or, or you know, whatever, it's a chair, you know, but now all of a sudden it's in chaise, you know, 
And so the, the confusion that enters into the picture is, is informed by this thing called fear. And the reason I say that is because now having learned and I'm learning Spanish and French, because you never learn it, right? I, I get that because the way that you grow in every single scenario having to do with a language has to do with you dealing with your fear, dealing with your, your, your fear and your ego. Because the last thing any adult wants to experience is being corrected. Okay, a child is corrected all day long. So a child can take that and, you know, whatever. I just I said it wrong. The teacher or my mom or dad corrected me. I got that. I'm moving on. I just keep going. But as an adult, you're challenged by how you said something in that language you're learning. And immediately your ego kicks in. And the fear of that feeling of, oh, I made a mistake, is literally the thing that keeps you bound. So if you, if, if, you can, if you can overcome that fear in any given moment, and again, it's a metaphor for life, right? But if you can overcome that fear in learning a language, you have leapfrogged to the next level. It's the fear of learning a language. Okay, so how does that translate? Literally, right? Translate is what Joy was talking about. Like, we weren't dealing with this stuff. Okay, the first thing we do, we shut it down. I'm not going to deal with that. Because the Bible says this, or the Hebrew Bible says that, and that's it. So I'm not going to deal with the nuance of this, of learning a new language. Or well, maybe there's another way of saying that. Maybe there's 100,000 other ways of saying that. But I'm not going to deal with it because I really don't want to process that in a way that causes me to feel that feeling. Oh, I, I don't know. I, you, but you're telling me, but, you, but you're wearing pants and, and, you're, and, and you're saying you're this and you're that. I, I don't want to feel that feeling of, oh, I was left behind and I am insufficient in this mm. moment. But you see, that is the very thing that I certainly confronted when I became, you know, actually it's when I went to MTS, to Memphis Theological, coming from a heavy-handed uh, evangelical, you know, fundamentalist upbringing, all of a sudden, because I thought I was going to seminary to have Bible study. And all of a sudden, I'm there, I'm there with, with, you know, Rabbi Mike, and I'm there with these other teachers who are, who are, who are now teaching me another language, another way to, 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 to process certain things. And, and, and one of them was, was, was sexuality and gender issues. And so I had to confront my fear of being wrong in order to grow. Wow. Before Kirk, you and Happy offer any affirming song of your choice, uh, Scott, will you tell us a story, maybe your story, never mind Yale, um, you pitched a no-hitter at Westminster High School <laughs> in Atlanta. Against uh, Georgia Tech, you left that Against out. Georgia Tech. Mm. But uh, were there many gay players on either side, or were there people with gender issues who, uh, th this has been an evolution for you, I'm sure, tell us a story. Yeah, so um, this whole issue came to fruition for me when I was um, really a freshman in college in that uh, two young women who, when I was in high school, I, I dated them bo both, George Ann and Joy. And, you know, 
I was not all that serious about them, but I was sure they were serious about me. <laughs> and in, at Thanksgiving of our freshman year, uh, they wanted to meet with me because there was something really important to talk to me about. So, of course, you know, my, my future being a pastor, I was all ready. And so the conversation that they had with me was over the fact that they were struggling with their relationship which meant that all these years when I was dating them, they were just having fun because <laughs> they were serious about each other and they were just playing with me. <laughs> and, and I was too dumb to realize what was going on. But so in that moment, you know, I had to decide, I mean, did I love them? Uh, as friends and as children of God in a way that would allow me for the first time to have to deal with issues in, you know, 1972 um, around something that I had never really thought much about in the least? Or was I going to take some sort of rigid theological position that I had also never really thought about? And so in, in that moment, it was like, for me, a really not much to think about. I, I cared deeply about them. Now, I have to admit, I didn't like the fact that they were playing me for several <laughs> years, but, um, but it, was, it was actually a very difficult time in their lives. Now, interesting in that uh, Joy ended up uh, marrying somebody who became an Episcopal priest, and, and George, her, George Ann, we've always called her George, um, has, you know, from that point on, lived an openly gay life and, and has, uh, you know, for, you know, 50 years now. So anyway, that, that experience for me um, has always been very, very important in my life. And I just think for all of us, I mean, you know, I'm a pastor of a, a denomination in the United Methodist Church that were it not for COVID, by now we probably would have split over this issue. I mean, it was front and center. We were ready uh, in March to, uh, to have a vote that would have split the global Methodist church into two camps over this issue. Now, when COVID's over, are we going to go right back down that path? I, I don't know, but I, I know that there are many, many people in Memphis who are United Methodist who, um, if I tell that story about George and uh, Joy, who, who might be listening today, I mean, they're going to be ready to write me out of the book of life that I'm not on the right side. But I just, I believe in my heart of hearts that God doesn't pick a right side around issues of people's love and, and who we love. And as long as we are focused on loving God first and foremost, that, that's what we're ultimately charged to do. I'm not a stranger to the dark Hide away, they say Cause we don't want your broken parts I've learned to be ashamed of all my scars Run away, they say No one will love you as you are Won't let them break me down to dust I know that there's a place for us for we are glorious 
When the sharpest words wanna cut me down I'm Gonna send the flood, gonna drown them out I am brave, I am bruised I am who I'm meant to be This is me, look out cause here I come And I'm marching out to the beat of drum I'm not scared to be seen I make no apologies, this is me, oh, 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 another round of bullets hits my skin, well, fire away, cause today, I won't let the shame sink in We are bursting through the barricades And reaching for the sun We are warriors Yeah, that's what we've become Won't let them break me down to dust I know that there's a place for us For we are glorious When the sharpest words wanna cut me down Gonna send a flood, gonna drown a mouth I am brave, I am bruised I am who I'm meant to be This is me, look out cause here I come And I'm marching on to the beat I drum I'm not scared to be seen I make no apologies This is me, oh Gonna send the flood, gonna drown them out. I am brave, I am bruised, I am who I'm meant to be. This is me, look out, cause here I come. And I'm marching on to the beat I drum. I'm not scared to be seen, I make no apologies. This is me Wow, thank you Kirk and Happy for that So we ended our first half talking about who was attracted to whom which is more the sexual identity issue and maybe Joshua when you chime in you'll talk about how well your church is doing accepting people who may not be heterosexual um, but I want to move the second part to one who's beautiful inside out who talked about being a tomboy um, and the whole feminization the whole like what am I thing right with the gender identity and I learned in preparing for our talk today that in the post-biblical book called the Mishnah, the Talmud, written around the time of Jesus, there are a number of different genders and sexes that are discussed. 
In addition to male and female, Zachar and Nekeva, there are four others. Um, ready? Here, here they are that, that the rabbis recognized. One is an androgynos, <laughs> which is a person who has both male and female sexual characteristics. There's a tumtum, which is a person whose sexual characteristics are indeterminate or obscured. There's an elonite, a person who is identified as female at birth, but develops male characteristics at puberty. <laughs> then there's a saris, which is a person who's identifi- identified as male at birth, but develops female characteristics at puberty. So in today's world, when it's not uncommon for people to reject non-binary gender identities, um, it's encouraging to know that the idea, like you were saying, Joshua, uh, of multiple sexes and genders isn't new, that it's an idea rooted in ancient texts and even attributed to some of the most important biblical characters. Just give you one bold example. Genesis 1:27, where it states that God created man in God's own image. In the image of God, God created him. Male and female, God created them. The rabbis of the Mishnah said, um, actually a Midrash rabbi, that it means that the first human being, Adam, was in fact an androgynous. So creating a world that ensures all people, regardless of sex or gender identity, are treated equally. Um, I wanted to know, like, from issues, I imagine how, how I don't want to say they and we, but if I were one of those other categories when it comes to gender identity. I'm just wondering, like, some of the questions that would go through my mind, like, can I access an all-gender um, restroom? Will others welcome me in this church or this church health uh, exclude me without even knowing it for being different? If y'all can riff on that, the four Hmm. of you, Joshua? Hmm. I haven't had questions that rough since seminary. No. um, (laughs) But the gender identity thing and this... Well, I think when I um, when it comes to church, right? Um, I'm Presbyterian. I'm at a disciples church now. Grew up Pentecostal. Went to Catholic school. I'm all over the place, right? <laughs> um, but I know that at my home uh, Presbyterian congregation in, Qu- in Queens, um, I've heard uh, folks say that as long as I'm a member here, as long as I'm a leader here, there will not be a gay person getting married in this church, right? Or even my own dear mother, who I love dearly. We are very different on this issue, right? Um, And so how do we kind of wrestle with bringing folks along? um, And how do we get to a place where we approach as safe a space? Because I don't ever believe we ever get to a safe space completely. As, As safe as a space for folks who identify um, in ways that we see as differently. Um, So I can remember being asked to look up what were the laws in Tennessee around um, like all gender bathrooms and, you know, doing my research, writing up a report and submitting it. And um, of course we can say it because of the pandemic, but like it being shelved because there's 
a way in which, you know, folks don't want to be pushed in that direction. Um, I think Joy and I were kind of talking about it before we started recording. This past weekend, it was a, a member of a well-known um, gospel group, the Walls Group, um, who was outed on social media uh, for being a gay man. And the vitriol, right, that he received online after that was wild, is the, the only word that comes to mind. Um, um, just slurs in his mentions, uh, people saying that <clears throat> he wasn't anointed, that he was a fake, that all these kinds of ways in which folks were trying to destroy him. And I think on one level, when it comes to those of us in the church, we've got to be honest and name the violence that has been done to queer bodies um, and, and, and bodies that we do not see as normal and expressions that we do not see as normal or valid. Um, and I think now of Dr. Mercer, you were talking about uh, the United Methodist Church. I think uh, of an incredible composer and uh, musician, Mark Miller, who was part of the United Methodist Church. Um, he wrote a song and he sang it at that last meeting um, before everything went crazy. Um, called I'm a Child of God. And one of the verses goes, um, no matter what the church says, uh, decisions, pronouncements made against me, I am a child of God, right? Um, that there's no one and no thing that can separate, that our lives matter, that we are meant to be. Um, and why is it that we would have to have songs and language that tells the church how it isn't being the church, right? Um, and so I think all of that to say, there's such a ways to go. Um, and if we can find language to draw people in as the church is being established in the 17 and 1800s, as we can find language to draw people in even in this digital age, um, why is it that we can't find the time and the commitment and the language to draw all people in? Um, not in spite of, but because of how they help us build a much more diverse and more accurate reflection of God's, uh, God's beautiful diversity in the world. Yeah. I think to that point... Um we, we we haven't had the language right, and we've we've ostracized so many. And I, when I say we, I'm referring to specifically the Christian church, but I think this is true across many faiths. Part of that is also erasure, right? Yeah. Um, the idea that there are not a ton of gay black men in the choir is <laughs> just—I mean, it's bananas. It's just a lot of gay men in the choir. That's just a fact, and so. Uh, erasure around um, that we think that this is a new thing, that there's this concept that, oh, like millennials or Gen Z or whoever suddenly become these different people. Um, I love that you went back to the original text because um, when we talk about any holy scriptures, um, we're talking about culturally infused scriptures, right, that have been... Um, 
either consciously or unconsciously, sometimes manipulated, right? And so, and that's not to take away from the their validity or their holiness, but it is to keep in mind that there is a little bit more to each of these holy texts than what we are giving credit to. Um, when you look at, for example, uh, your example around Adam, um, that 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 actual verse has always been a, a difficulty for me because I just he created man. Male and female, he created them, but then it goes back and then talks about how Adam was. So it's just, it's confusing, right? It's like, it's hard to make it clear. Um, and I've had to come to my own understandings around that. Um, but all that to say that there's a lot of erasure happening within religious faiths um, that keep us from being able to move forward, right? A lot of that around what, Kirk, what you were talking about around fear of wanting to have different language and being afraid to kind of engage these other things. I mean, if I have to engage that, then I also have to engage my own difficulties with sexual uh, sexual desires that I haven't wanted to be honest about. If I have to engage that, then I have to engage my own um, difficulties with gender expression. I have to engage all kinds of things. Um, I have to engage, you know, my auntie who we don't talk about, but she's been living with the same woman and that's just her roommate, but is it? You know, like we we have to engage all of these things that are a little bit more nuanced, more difficult um, and are harder for the heart, right? Um, But I I, I thoroughly agree with what you said, Joshua, that there's... um, it's such a human understanding of God to think that there are some things that he just can't forgive um, or there are some things that he can't understand or there are some things he can't accept um, or that there's some realities to humanness that he didn't expect to happen. Um, and I don't mean that in that any of these things need to be forgiven. I'm not even sure about that. Um, but the idea that there are certain things that are off limits um, before the throne of God or before a religious entity or before even a community of people who are of faith, whatever faith that is, um, is a really short-sighted understanding of something that is supposed to be bigger than us. And on top of that, let's let's take God out the picture. Let's take a deity out the picture um, on, a, on a human-to-human basis. There is um, great freedom in being able to be honest about your own things and about others' things. I think there is so much freedom that can be found in being honest for me, for example, about the fact that I didn't know where I fit growing up because I was more expressive in a typically boy way. Now I feel very comfortable about that because I see other folks around me who are bold about their um, their trans identity or they're bold about their sexual identity. And as a cis straight person, that kind of makes it a little easy for me. <laughs> you know, I've actually not had to figure that much out, right? Um, and I wonder also if there is, not I wonder, I'm very sure that there's a huge part to play in the church um, in some of these divisions and some of this confusion um, that, we put men and we put women in such tight boxes. A woman has to serve. A man has to lead. A woman has to, um, you know, be submissive. A man has to uh, protect. All of these different boxes that we put everyone in. So then, when there is a bold woman, or there is a timid man, or there is a um, 
overly expressive, overly expressive, but an expressive woman, or there is a, um, or even an expressive man that now you must not fit into what a man should be, or you must not fit into what a woman should be, um, as if that's all there is. Um, and I mean, I, I thoroughly agree that there are many genders. Um, in most ancient texts, most ancient beliefs, um, you go into indigenous cultures, you go into um, ancient Roman culture. I mean, you go into almost any ancient culture, and there is a, a visibility of multiple genders. And so I don't know when the moment happened, but something happened within our history as a religious, like as religious faith as a whole, um, to want to categorize and label into very tight, rigid boxes um, that I don't, I don't think serves people. Um, it doesn't help anyone. Now, I, I can tell you though, as an older white male heterosexual physician, that this is a challenge for me on multiple levels, and that I I see myself as open and affirming, and and yet like uh, Joshua knows what happened earlier in the summer here, in that you know I. I Regularly see people who um, are of a variety of different uh, identities from their own sexual being, but then um, somebody comes to me who he's very promiscuous and he wants to be tested for every STD there is out there. So I feel like it's my responsibility to sort of say, hey, we're, we're not here just to test you, you know, just to tell you that you're free of disease, so you can go out and practice this unsafe sex habit. So I, I sort of call him on it. Well, next thing I know is there's a whole social media a- attack on me as being anti-gay. I mean, th- this had nothing to do with being anti-gay. It had to do with the fact that his behavior was incredibly risky and, and using in my mind, the assets and the resources of church health, because we could do the testing for him for free, I just didn't feel like that was a good use of our resources. And for, for me to just say, sure, we'll, we'll, we'll test you and you, you go live your life however you want to, that didn't feel to me to be responsible. But based on who I am, all of a sudden, it's, it's a challenge. And I, I don't quite know... Well, this, it's what, interesting. What the right thing is there? It's interesting, though, Scott. You know that that's one of the issues. Um, I'm going to call it morality or ethics, but it's epidemiology. I mean, kind of in a way, but 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 the morality part of it is an it is a part that we don't get to go to because we're so busy categorizing people. You know, rather than us being able to say with a clear face, you know what you got to knock that off in terms of you being out with a bunch of you know unsafe sex like because you person who won't wear a mask you know <laughs> i mean but, but, but however you want to put it you know it doesn't have anything to do with judging a person's sexuality it has to do with loving your neighbor well but I, I gotta go quickly back to Micah and say. I, I got a question for you since you wrote yours down. Oh, good. Because I'm waiting for you. Because <laughs> you, you brought up fear. Yeah. You and you all brought up categories and you brought up behaviors and it's wrong that you were attacked. But we're talking identity here. Mm. Kurt, I've seen pictures of those grandkids, which means you have kids. <laughs> <laughs> what if your daughter 
Mm-hmm. Was born a daughter. Mm-hmm. But always felt like a boy in a girl's body. And then came to you at five or six and said, I'm really a boy. I- I- I've had a congregant where this happened, actually, too. And when you get to be 13, you have your bar mitzvah. Your, so mm, the girl's mm. going to have a bat mitzvah. Right. Cause, and everybody was all nervous about what's the ceremony going to be because it was a girl. Mm-hmm. It was fine. It was a he. The only issue was that the parents told me they thought about leaving Memphis because they weren't sure they would find enough people to support them Mm -hmm. as they would in a larger city, but they stayed. But have you thought about that? Like, I know as a parent, our expectations might change if we thought that our child was straight but was gay or if our child was a he but a she. I I don't I I don't like the phrase I can't imagine because mm, I mm. I think we can't imagine. So in addition to whatever wisdom you you you've, you've called from these uh-huh. others, I'm wondering what what this whole gender identity with you as a as a parent and how like does that test your besides your expectations and hopes mm-hmm. for who your child was going to be? Yeah, right. So uh, I can sit here and say that I actually have a child who is pansexual. Exactly, right. That was precisely <laughs> what I said. <laughs> uh, I said, what does that mean? <laughs> uh, so uh, I, I'm not qualified to really define pansexual here. I mean, Joy, maybe you could speak to that. but I mean, from what I understand, um, pansexuality is acceptance of, like there is no preference. Like I'm, I'm a straight woman and, and I prefer men. Mm-hmm. Um, if I was a bi woman, that I would be interested in men or women. Um, as a pansexual, it, you really don't discriminate. Um, and so you could be interested in a trans man, trans woman, straight woman, cis woman, straight yeah. man, cis man. Um, it's kind of all, all, you know, as long as it's a legal age and right. appropriate to consenting adults. Right, um, yeah. Well, yeah. That, that, you know, that actually... Um, it, it, it was a big deal, you know, for me in one sense, just because, you know, as as you mentioned, Micah, it wasn't anything that I ever expected, <laughs> you know. But at the same time, I would say if you ask 1985 Kirk Whalem hmm. that question. Right. So, again, you know, here, here's the important thing is that what we can do as humans uh, homo sapiens is that we can evolve, that we can grow, mm-hmm. that we can learn a new language. Yeah. You see, and so to me, that's the more important issue. It's not defining trans, I mean, uh, you know, pansexual. It's like, it's like, can you love? Mm-hmm. And can you love in a way that's constantly being challenged in terms of your definitions or who what you think is supposed to happen and what the Bible says, which is, you know, to me just when the person comes to me with that, you know, what the Bible says, I just want to punch him. <laughs> you know, I'm just going to be honest. Well, which version are you reading? <laughs> oh, man, I love the Bible. Which iteration? <laughs> but when you say that, we're, the conversation is that there's a period. We can't talk, mm, you, yeah. know. But you know. You, you, you Micah, you know, have just blown my, I mean, you, all of you are blowing my head this morning. Thank you. Thank you. 
because my mind needs to always be blown when I think I know something because I don't know anything. But what you blew my mind with is the fact that in the Mishnah, there are four other genders mentioned. I mean, come on. How did we miss that? How, you know, of all the stuff, Erasure, of all the stuff, you know, well, you know, love, marriage is between a man and a woman. I'm like, my God, tell that to Jacob. I mean, right. really? Come on. Oh. Come on now. <laughs> tell that to Abraham. Tell that to, look. A lot of So what are y'all going to play? What are y'all going to sing for us uh, that aligns with what we're talking about this month? This is a song called You Are Loved by Noah Aronson. You are perfect as you are. You are perfect as you are. Free yourself from all the judgment and realize you are perfect as you are. You are holy and complete. You are holy and complete. You are whole and you are pure. You are unique, you are holy and complete. Love, loved, loved, you are loved, you are always loved. Loved, 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 you are loved, you are always loved. You are loved, you are always You are always loved. 
May every listener feel the import of that song. Uh, here's what we'll do to round out the hour. We have time. Scott, if you'll share with us first uh, the next month, uh, when people can expect it, then let's go uninterruptedly to, to Joy's uh, whatever's in her heart. And then one more song will be the uh, conclusion. Right, so we'll be back here at WYXR on January the 7th. Uh, they broadcast us at 9 o'clock, but it gets uh, 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 um, put on their website, and then it's also on the Church Health website if uh, you want to listen to anything we've done in the past. So we'll see you on January the 7th. Joy. Awesome. Um, this has been such a great conversation, and... Um, Lots of um, insights being given and uh, things to think about. Um, whether you're in the majority uh, in every area or whether you're in the minority in every area or someplace in between, um, I know that every single one of us has experienced what it feels like to be isolated, um, to be ostracized, to feel alone, um, or to feel like nobody sees you. Um, so if we can all take a minute and you're going to close our eyes. Um, I just want you to picture that version of you, um, whether that was years ago or maybe within the last week, um, the moment that you felt like there's no one who understands what it is I'm going through. Um, there's no one who understands what it feels like uh, to be in pain um, on the inside of who you are. Just take a moment. Um, I want you to think about what you would say to that that young man or that young woman, um, that gender non-conforming individual, um, I want you to take a moment, meditate on that. And then I want you to say, um, if you're by yourself listening to this, say out loud um, what you would say to that person. Um, and I'll say what I would say to me at a different time, um, that you were loved, you were seen, um, I see you, more people see you than you think, um, and more importantly, that larger force in your life sees you in your fullness. Um, you are not only loved and seen, but you are enough. You are enough. You are enough. Just the way you are. Thank you all.
in all your doom trying hard to fill the emptiness the pieces go the puzzle undone that's the way it is you are beautiful no matter what they say words can bring you Beautiful in every single way. Words won't bring you down. So don't you bring me down today. Bring me down today.